What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 198 of the Just an Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, my name is Tim Burbeck. I'm your host and guide through said podcast, and I am super stoked that we are nearing episode 200. It's been a wild, wild journey for the last two and a bit years now that we've been doing this show. And for anyone that's ever checked out the show, whether it's just one episode, a few episodes, or all 198 thus far, your support is very, very much appreciated. Um, yeah, I may as well announce this now. So we are going to be doing a little giveaway for episode 200. Um, been reached out to some some friends who run some record labels who have and distros who have generously donated some wonderful, wonderful gifts. Um I haven't got the full list in front of me right now because I'm totally unprofessional. But the plan is, if you're listening to this the day of release, there will be a post on our Instagram page on Wednesday, uh, the 23rd of June, which will explain what the giveaway is. The whole idea is, let's say, load a bunch of records and stuff like that. All you've got to do is to follow our Instagram page share the competition tag us in in the share and yeah that's pretty much it there'll be more details in the actual post we're going to put that post up for just under two weeks i'm going to do an instagram live uh the day before episode 200 so that will be on uh i'm just looking at my calendar so roughly around july the 5th um I'll do an Instagram live where I will draw a name out of the hat and whoever that's name is will win said competition. Um, unfortunately, due to Brexit and postage and whatever, this is limited to UK citizens. I do apologise anyone that lives outside of the UK, but unfortunately it's just the way it has to be. But yeah, all these details will be on our Instagram page, which is just underscore and underscore insight. So go and check that out um other things to talk about this week live music's a thing again so here in the uk we had the download pilot festival um i wasn't lucky enough to go but i would be totally honest from the pictures my anxiety wasn't quite there yet so i think if i was there i would not have enjoyed it like don't get me wrong it was fucking cool to see everyone like loving the music the musicians themselves really digging it but yeah, being in a crowd of people like that, again, did kind of like, just even seeing the pictures did kind of make me feel a little angsty. So, but it's positive steps in the right direction, even if our government has decided to push back the restrictions by a further four weeks until mid-July. But not just here in the UK, over the weekend as well, uh, in San, I think it was in San Jose, it was definitely in California, but the real Bay shit, sort of Aldea with Gulch, Tsunami, Drain, Zabalba, Scowl, like just just looking at the videos looks fucking insane. And like don't again, like if I was there, probably would have been like riddled with anxiety. But the fact that like the headlining bands are, are Drain, Tsunami, and Gulch, who in the grand scheme of things, are all relatively newish hardcore bands, and they got a crowd the size they did. It's just like phenomenal. So, yeah, live music back in fashion, alive and well, and yeah, super cool to see. Um, 
apart from that, not a whole lot to kind of talk about. New music that I've checked out recently. Uh, the new Bootlicker EP that came out, well, album, sorry, not EP, uh, came out on Friday uh, via Static Shock Records. Like, Bootlicker are a fucking rad kind of hardcore punk band, so to get a full length from them is just cool, and, yeah, their artwork is just phenomenal. Um, Bitterwood, really cool little EP, like, metalcore-style thing. Uh just yeah it's kind of like got that sort of myspace callback vibe but just doing it really really well new c4 album really cool uh unity tx ep so yeah some really cool stuff coming out this week new chubby and the gang stuff really really digging chubby and the gang recently so as well as live music really cool new releases coming out as well and that's not going to be stopping anytime soon um I've rambled on way too long, so let's get into this week's guest. This week I am joined by the man behind uh, the musical endeavour Lift and Frontier guitarist Dan Stevenson. Um, this was a really cool chat with Dan. Like Lift is a really kind of interesting project, which obviously we get into in the in the conversation, but it's very different from what he was is sorry known for as being like the hectic guitarist in Frontier. Um, but we talk about sort of growing up being a twin how there is that weird sort of twin connection and how obviously they've kind of lived different lives but are still very supportive of one another um how dan came to be as part of frontier because if anyone's listened to our episode with ped we'll know that frontier is very much ped's kind of baby but obviously that has grown and expanded to what we hear and see today um and how lift was lift was kind of born through uh, Dan and his wife going through quite a traumatic period of time and it was his kind of way of dealing with that and now that being out in the world how he's kind of perceiving it how he wants to push the project further forward in the future and yeah just so much more um a little caveat when we recorded this uh, so the room I record it in I sit underneath the window and you might be able to even hear it now, but on the day that we recorded it, there was a bird that sat right under my window, which is right by my microphone. So there is a little bit of bird chirping throughout the conversation. I tried and edited it out as much as possible, but there are parts where I'm talking and I couldn't edit out because otherwise you'd edit out my talking. So just a pre-warning, I'm not recording this outside. There's just basically a bird pretty much over my microphone. <laughs> Uh, in parts of the conversation but anyway I'm gonna stop rambling on please enjoy the chat I have with Dan and I'll see you on the other side right so joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is guitarist of Mathcore Juggernauts Frontier and the musical mind behind uh, the new Ambient Electronic Project Lift, Dan Stevenson. Dan, thank you very much for taking some time and having a little chat with me uh, as we kind of 
said before we kind of hit record, you're kind of in the process of moving house. So I really appreciate you taking the time. But how, how is everything in, in general? How's how's life treating you? Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, thanks for having me, first of all. But yeah, it's it's all good here. Um, in the process of moving, yeah, I uh, I never thought in my whole life that music would allow me to buy a house, but I've somehow <laughs> ended up in that yeah. position, which is um, pretty... I mean, that's the bizarre. dream, isn't it? Yeah, really? it's, it's nuts. So uh, I can't complain. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing really well. Um, and yeah, I've, you know, lockdown has obviously been a, a horrible stress for, for many, many people. So I, yeah, I'm one of the lucky few that it's, you know, not impacted too badly a little bit of the thing Mm. i love doing has been taken away for a short period of time that's kind of the extent so yeah it's all good here and i want to obviously get onto sort of like your career and stuff a little bit later down the line but obviously because one of your main jobs now is obviously being a lecturer but just i'm interested i know it's one of the questions that everyone's asking obviously because of the time we're in and lockdown and everything but teaching and stuff how how has that kind of like differed for you and how has that kind of changed like because of the situation we're in or having haven't you really seen a huge change yeah I've, I've seen quite a change um it's it's a bit difficult because I'm not your stereotypical music lecturer um, believe it right. or not um a, a lot of my colleagues and contemporaries are much more from the jazz or classical or like traditional like Scottish traditional kind of background so hmm. um I am still a very firm believer in learning music with a person and creating chemistry and learning that that sort of like synchronicity like I think the one component of teaching music is that you have to learn how to you know play notes read music write music that kind of thing yes that's important but to create an energy and a feeling with another person as you play instruments or make sounds that can only be done in person in a room with said person you can't teach that online so I felt that's been really lacking um, and that's been quite difficult to try and like rustle up some sort of teaching methods or techniques to to get that um across so that's been a bit challenging some of the other things have have been not too bad like I teach a lot of like music business classes um and so that's kind of transferable to online it's a lot of like powerpoints and then case studies and things which (laughs) is you know you can do that that's fine in in a lot of ways that's better online it's it's quite dry to do in in a classroom with like 40 students (laughs) so um so that's been not too bad theory stuff's very like yeah as long as a student can see a set of keys in front of them they can kind of do that so that's not too bad um it's more the live and the kind of instrument tuition stuff that's been a bit more difficult but um we found a way it's you know Mm. it is what it is everyone has to go through it and yeah i could be doing much worse things um for eight hours a day than trying to teach a (laughs) bass or a singing lesson you know (laughs) because obviously i know scotland's slightly different to to us in england with in terms of like restrictions and stuff but have you now that things are starting to like ease have you had an opportunity to have that more kind of one-to-one interaction with students or are you still not quite there yet and not quite at the moment um so with our building and our institute they their kind of hard line is kind of the the least disruption possible so um, our semesters run in two blocks so after january our second semester starts and yeah i had arranged everything to be online and created all the materials to do it that way and so if i would get to like march sort of time and then change again after the students have had so much disruption it, it long term it wouldn't really be good for them so um but the plan at the moment is after september to get them back in the building and that'll mean that i'm back in uh, a few days a week which will which will be good because 
I, uh, I I changed up my life big time, so I didn't have to stare at a screen all day. And uh, as soon as I did that, uh, <laughs> I went into lockdown, and now I stare at a screen all day instead of like communicate with people. So yeah, uh, I, I'm looking forward to being back in the building and getting the hustle and bustle of being in a, a busy sort of music department. That's cool. Well, we'll switch the focus onto you and your sort of journey through music, and how I always kind of like to open things up is to ask my guests what got them into sort of alternative music and like what was their first exposure to it so what was your what was your in on that journey yeah it's it's pretty broad so um i was born in scotland and then before i was a year old i moved to south africa and i lived there until i was about seven or eight and oh, so okay, cool. my, my first experience with music is is very much like roots indigenous um like tribal african music we lived in an area oh, awesome. where there's like a lot of native communities so uh, yeah, like I, that spurred the sort of like love of rhythm in, in a lot of fashions, mm. whether that's like through percussive instruments or um, like stringed instruments or whatever. I've just always loved that sort of feeling that a rhythm can create a feeling of community in multiple ways. So that was kind of instilled from a young age. And then, yeah, we moved to Scotland and, um, yeah, my music taste kind of evolved. You know, as a child, you know, you like the stuff on the radio and, and those kind of things. Um, I was quite lucky. I had an older brother that is like 11 older, 11 years older than me. And mm. so he had kind of gone through a lot of like musical experiences and sifted out the rubbish so that he could kind of gift his, his younger brother <laughs> yeah. something pretty um, noble, I think. And so I, when I was about must have been 11 or 12 i got like a wedge of these cds that were like pixies doolittle allison chains jar of flies nirvana unplugged um like loads of these amazing records from the 90s and my brother's just like this is a good starting point so just listen to these mm. find what you like sort of thing and um yeah that kind of got me into this sort of like underbelly of like grunge music and alternative rock music and uh and i was just kind of like hooked from then i, I remember hearing um where is my mind by the pixies and i like i don't know how to like explain it but i just felt like i was in a dream state when i heard it and every time i hear that song right. ever since it still puts me in that sort of state like 20 years on nearly so that's cool um so yeah that was like the beginning points and then um i've also got a twin brother who is into uh, a lot of different kinds of music but he came home with an alexis on fire cd one day and i, I had never really heard screaming music before and so this was the Watch Out record um, before the, the Big Crisis record. And uh, yeah, I heard uh, George's vocals, like these really shreddy, high, kind of like horrible vocals. And I didn't like it at first, but something about it kind of reeled me in. And I just kept at it for like six months. And then I was just like hooked on this aggressive sort of sound. <laughs> and that created this pathway into like Funeral for a Friend and um like 100 Reasons, like we were saying before. And a lot of that sort of like early to mid 2000s leaning between like emo and towards that hardcore sort of like metal sort mm. of realm and yeah that then linked into things like trivium and slipknot and i just kept going down that rabbit hole and uh, i haven't really stopped i'm, I'm still exploring <laughs> yeah. a lot of what's left down there and uh and that was my kind of journey into the alternative and then yeah i guess over the last 10 years specifically it's been much broader than um like heavy music a lot of like electronic a lot of jazz a lot of um yeah avant-garde sort of stuff um so yeah it's it's it piqued my interest at a young age and i've just kind of kept mm. exploring i think is maybe the right way to say it and you mentioned obviously about you being a twin and like from doing my research i noted that and there's one thing i wanted to kind of ask and you you have kind of answered it there a little bit but like were were you guys like into similar things or were you, were you kind of like 
trying to like separate yourself from each other it's or good were you question. Kind of giving each other tips it, it's quite difficult because as, as a twin um from a small village in rural scotland you're inherently very compared with everything that you do and so <laughs> yeah. i think there, there was a um you know an innate love for the same things but a surface level need to show a separation from that so that we could have our own mm. sort of autonomy um but we did actually share a lot of really really um like close music interests and something i always find really interesting about my brother he's he ended up going into law but the reason for that was because he found rage against the machine and zach oh, awesome. lyrics and the stories behind the the kind of like reason for being a band had inspired him so far into politics that that you know he ended up studying law and, and going in that direction so he was in That's some really ways cool. very very moved by music in the same ways that i was but i think that i could express myself with music um instead of using it as a medium to kind of like um you know fire me into a certain direction but yeah i mean we d we definitely tried to separate ourselves as we got into that sort of like 13 14 15 sort of age because it's like you mm. know you're in the same classes all the way through school always compared with like sports and like what you're good at and um yeah very similar senses of humor and very similar like music taste to a degree uh, and then yeah after like high school sort of age he went off into um not so much underbelly aggressive music much more surface level stuff and yeah we were polar after that musically i think <laughs> <laughs> but it just in terms of like i don't want to stick on like the cliche like twin connection sort of thing but obviously just in terms of like what you're doing now and obviously him having some frame of reference with it obviously when he was younger and, and things like that does he kind of like get and appreciate like what you're doing i guess maybe lift is a bit more kind of attainable and, and sort of palatable mm. but like with like the frontier and section sort of stuff does he kind of look at that and like oh you stuck out that's really cool kind of thing or is he like what the fuck is this noise yeah he he um like I, I need to say he's he is really proud of the things that i've done because it's like you know of all the people that you know that attempt a career at music you could probably count on one hand how many people actually get to go do that thing so yeah. like he like i know like he's vocally said that he is he's proud of the things that i've achieved i know that he doesn't sit and listen to frontier but he did come to see us um in 2019 when we played in glasgow i think and uh yeah he he just he he loves seeing some like a group of people just get very very amped up and excited and whether that's <laughs> in sports or music or like whatever the thing is he likes to see that and i think the fact that it was his brother that did that i think he liked to see that sort of thing um i think he's got a bigger appreciation for lift in general um and yeah i mean it's, it's not like a, a cop-out question about that sort of like synchronicity it's funny because on, there's a track on the record um the lift record called james and one of the collaborators uh, finn's an old old friend of mine but um yeah he basically sent me like a handful of demos and he doesn't know my twin's brother my twin's name is james and so he'd sent me this track that just had this like calling of the name james back and forward back and forward panned and i was just like man that's so weird that that's like this like very synchronistic that is, yeah that's really strange and i've had quite a lot of experiences in my life where something's happened that's linked very closely to a feeling that he's had or an incident that he's been in um and that's been echoed multiple times in our lives it's a really bizarre sort of thing to to experience yeah man i can imagine especially like yeah considering like how old um, are you 32 now yeah okay so yeah so like obviously now like 32 years on you're doing this record and then as you said it's not even something that you've kind of 
sound it out. It's just it's kind come of come to yeah, me. Yeah, really yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if I can humor you for a second, there's another really uh, odd one where I was living in Australia for a year, and um, I went skydiving, and I hadn't told like my family and stuff no, for no reason, but in particular, I, I just hadn't been in contact. And um, my brother had phoned me the day, my twin phoned me the day after I did the skydive, and he was like, "What were you doing like yesterday or this morning?" Because I woke up in this like sleep terror where I couldn't breathe and I couldn't move, and he like he managed to crawl to the bathroom and then he was like in this weird state of shock that he couldn't move but he was like fully like cognitively functioning but he was just like body locked like couldn't move and he told me that and shock. i was like dude shut your mouth like i was <laughs> jumping out of a plane at fourteen thousand feet and uh it's just like that's too weird like it absolutely freaked me i hadn't spoken to him in months i i was like you know this is 10 years ago i was like a broke guy busking around australia so it was just like man this is weird it's so bizarre that's insane that's so strange yeah. <laughs> so weird um i guess like i can kind of segue like this then so like in terms of you kind of like I guess playing music obviously guitar is the, the, the instrument that you picked up but like were you two both playing music or were you the one that kind of pursued it as, as something to actually actively do yeah play? i i definitely pursued that as a, a kind of lead interest if you want to see it that way um my brother was very talented at um like the the basic art class that you get in high school but he kind of spread right. that into like oil painting and like different kinds of, of like physical art forms and I I loved doing that I wasn't very good at it um but I was naturally quite quick with guitar I suppose and so I liked that immediate gratification whereas he was the opposite like he was naturally he had a great eye for design and like composition uh, artistically but he wasn't very quick with like you know hand eye coordination or whatever so he wasn't very good at guitar so yeah I stuck to that mm. and he he tried to play a little bit had a, a band when he was at uni I think uh, playing bass a little bit um but yeah no my, my dad taught me um how to play poly by Nirvana and then I was just like oh man yeah I, I need to just like stick at this um but I, I didn't actually I, I didn't have a lot of willpower at first I I found it like I was quite good at it but I found it difficult and then I just left it for six months and then I picked it up again after that and um I just started learning a lot of like Nirvana and Metallica tunes and like after a year of that my parents I begged my parents for lessons but we we weren't from like a wealthy family or anything so it's like it's a very sort of like auxiliary cost to it to a family household mm. so they're like if you do a year and you know you stick stick out learning songs for a year and you kind of do okay at that then we'll get your year of lessons and then if you stick that out then we'll see where you are sort of thing so yeah that was the deal we sort of made and I got a year of lessons with this like phenomenal um guitar player that had toured with like um Primal scream and stuff in the 70s and um yeah he taught me a whole bunch of Led Zeppelin in my first sort of like theory sort of side of things and uh yeah just I was just so invested in, in music from that age I think and did you kind of like dabble with any other instruments before you settled on guitar or was it always kind of guitar for you yeah I didn't really dabble with anything beforehand um i took to bass a little bit when I was in school and then I did quite a bit of that through uni and I always loved singing but I never really had any formal singing lessons at all um I just applied a lot of the kind of like theoretical sort of knowledge that you would apply and use my ear quite a lot but I've never really had enough confidence with singing to be like yes I will sing in front of people I've done it on record loads <laughs> yeah. but um, I've not really done it in in an audience sort of capacity in, in a long long time mm. And so then the other thing that I always kind of find interesting is people's kind of like musical surroundings and, and sort of how they kind of get into like the live aspect of things. 
and so you mentioned kind of when you were in South Africa like that was kind of a big sort of thing in terms of like their sort of traditional music and things like that but in terms of you actually like attending shows and seeing live music what was your kind of first experiences of that um so i grew up when we moved back to scotland in a really rural part of aberdeenshire um and if if anyone listening hasn't got good geography of scotland which is understandable it's in the the (laughs) top right corner of scotland pretty much um so for gigs to come here big bands don't really do it because it's not en route to like in a sort of market yeah, town yeah. or city so it's usually smaller bands micro sort of um like yeah i guess like subculture sort of groups that will be up there and otherwise we'd have to go down to glasgow but my first gig i remember going to properly was um travis that kind of like alternative pop rock oh, sort yeah, of band yeah. um and that was amazing it was really really cool and it was a little bit too big though i remember thinking I'm not really feeling what I think I'm meant to feel. Like I didn't have the excitement and the like electricity of being in a basement show sort of thing, which I was hoping for. And mm. I was a bit too young to kind of understand why. Um, and then after that, I started going to see like the next gig immediately after that was actually exactly what I was craving in the first place was when Biffy Clyro were on uh, the Black and Sky run, like their first uh, record tour. And they had played in a venue that we had up here in Aberdeen to, I think, like 200 people. And it was Ruben, them and another act, I can't remember the name of. But yeah, Ruben and them just like, they blew my mind. I just, to see that sort of thing in front of me and like at that age you're so perceptive to this idea that there's you know uh, a world between you and that stage like you know in terms of being able to achieve that or to like reach those people or connect with people in that way and then seeing that kind of like shrunk down to Biffy in this like 200 cap room um yeah that connected the dots for me where I was like I I could you know that's realistic like I could do that and then who knows what could happen after that and I was just so thirsty for seeing as much of that as I could if that was in Aberdeen or going to Glasgow or Edinburgh or Dundee or Perth I yeah I I was one of those kids that was like I'll I'll go to gigs on my own I'll get the bus I'll save up all my money like I just I needed to see as much of that as I could so Mm. I think that was from the ages of like I mean, I sn- I was underage for that Biffy show, so I was I must have been fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> and like a bit of a, a side note, but just in terms of like how big Biffy mm-hmm. are now, and I always find it interesting, like where when people have that opportunity to see like these big bands in like smaller venues and and things like that. So has it been weird to like kind of see their rise for for you, like because as you say, you see them like in this mm-hmm. tiny little venue, because like. I think I've told this story before, like numerous times. But for me, that band's Enish yeah. Shikari, because I remember seeing them at like a community hall <laughs> nice down the road. Like this was like before they'd even like had taped to the skies when they were like still doing like yeah, the MySpace yeah. thing. And now, obviously, they're doing like Ali Pali and and stuff like that. And I was like, fuck! I remember like having a go at their vocalist because I'm yeah. drunk <laughs> sort of thing. So, 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 so do you, I don't know. Do you kind of find it weird that? Like they're now on that trajectory and you you kind of see yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it is quite a bizarre thing because I think like anyone that's interested in alternative music and the underbelly and the subgenres that come with it, 
there's inevitably bands that explode from that and you know Biffy are a good example mm. Shikari uh, Architects Bring Me like they're all examples of that you know sticking at it until you get to that spot where you want to be and I always try and kind of like quantify my thoughts on that and I, I think about do I actually like any of the music that those bands make now? Honestly, not really. But do I still like absolutely love <laughs> yeah. and cherish the bones of what they've created? A hundred percent. Like I, I do. I was, I was talking yeah, recently yeah. to um, a, another podcast about the Architects sort of thing and same idea. You know, I've seen them in venues where there's been bar staff and that's it. And, you know, like I, I don't actively, I can't say I love the new record. It became number one and that did so much for that kind of community and that scene and that's my thing with Biffy I think it's the same um I think their first three records are incredibly bold and like big statements after they tasted some success of a major label and they could see the growth um available upon taking those decisions um yeah who would blame them if someone would ask you to sell out for that (laughs) I would do it tomorrow a hundred percent like I would I'm not gonna lie um would would I alienate certain amounts of a fan base for that it would happen naturally yeah um but until you've put 15 years of your life into a career and seen the the hard grind that you need to get anywhere I think all you can do is respect people that end up being that stratospherically huge that's that's my kind of views on it Mm. so then in terms of like as you say like you got went to that that Biffy show with Ruben and it was that kind of that sense of that feeling that you wanted and it, that it was attainable kind of thing. So so then in terms of like going to, I guess, the more quote-unquote heavier side of things, like, because as you said, like you were kind of getting into like the triviums, the slip knots and stuff like that. Were you start, were you then kind of like seeking out those gigs? Or as you said, like, was it just kind of like live music in general that you really wanted to kind of dive in on? Um, I, I was like seeking out those kind of things and we, we had a spell up in Aberdeenshire so I would say in like 2004 until 2008 or 9 there's a really healthy music scene up here in Aberdeen and loads of acts like I guess like small to get in bigger bands like Flood of Red, Shikari's, My Mind's mm. Weapon, um, Triggered the Bloodshed, like all these kind of bands were coming up and they were selling out every time and it was it was so cool to see so I was like always kind of going to those and I just always felt like there was like an immeasurable like sense of like energy and shared experience that I just couldn't find with acoustic shows or like rock bands or indie bands. And I I tried, I definitely have tried to make that same connection, but I think there's just a feeling of community that comes with that oddball style yeah. of music that just, you don't have to say, it doesn't have to be acknowledged, but everyone knows that you're there to feel that. And I, I really love that. And I think that's something with Frontier that's, really opened my eyes as we've traveled across like almost every country in Europe now is that you know you go to a place in Romania and there's people that are there to feel that same thing and like like removing that curtain of we're the band you're the audience I've always like strived to remove that and so by being in these places and like meeting people that love the thing that I'm a part of like it, it just feels so like full circle to finally give that back in some way and yeah I think it's a really powerful thing to be able to like contribute that back into something that I took mm. so much from like over the last 10 years. So then in terms of you like then pursuing music and like wanting to sort of play and things like that as you said like learning like sort of Nirvana songs and things like that but actually like forming a band as such like were you, did you want it like I guess like the first kind of like quote unquote proper band you were in 
did you want that to be something heavier or was it more kind of along the grungy lines of things what was that like mm. so the first thing i did that had any kind of like i don't know i had a high school band that kind of made waves up here but that's that doesn't mean anything <laughs> you know like it's a very small like the population's small nothing happens up here at all and i've only recently moved back up here since being away for mm. like 12 years so I'm, I'm very much seeing it again firsthand so that first high school band made small waves up here which doesn't equate to anything really um and then when i went to uni that was the first time that i really had gotten a band off the ground properly i got to go out to Europe for the first time and oh, do a awesome. bit of touring and we toured around the UK and um and so yeah the first thing began as like an alt rock kind of pop rock thing in high school because everyone had such different tastes that it was easy just to kind of use that as like the diving board or the kind of jumping off spot and then yeah when I went to uni I met so many people that were into a lot of the same music as I was and at that point I was really exploring artists or bands like um Isis and Pelican right, and okay. Russian Circles and I was really obsessed with that kind of more cinematic side of progressive kind of heavy music if mm. you want to see it that way and uh, yeah we had created this cool little community around Glasgow and Air and um, managed to go over to Germany like I said played a couple of festivals and that's when I was kind of on that route where you know it, it was starting to make sense to me that you you can have a band that's not commercially you know viable quote unquote but still get to do the really cool things that have been on the bucket list and I think that was when I kind of was like well yeah I'll, I'll do that I think because I don't really have like the heart to pursue pop or rock or something that I don't really believe in because to like give your all to something you you really have to like believe in it it's it's difficult to kind of turn up every day for something that you don't believe in like pop music or whatever that may be for for that person but yeah for me at that time it was um yeah kind of weird alternative music I suppose mm. so was that that band that uni band was it kind of along the sort of Isis Pelican sort of style yeah it it was kind of between that and like um kind of that visu era of thrice it was a bit more down that sort of right, okay. um it was a band called out of samsara and um yeah i mean we did like two or three years of, of pretty good work and then uni finished and everyone just like literally completely split i went to australia jamie went to japan barry went to the scottish and english borders and then uh johnny stayed uh, around glasgow so we were in <laughs> alternate corners of the world so <laughs> yeah. we uh we went on out on a high though yeah we did um like a pretty good summer of, of things in germany and wherever and it was what it was i mean it, it was a great way for us to kind of well I think it was a good way for the members of the band to work out if this is something that they actually want to pursue, like a life being in a band or music or whatever. Mm. And the answer for everyone, basically, except me, was no. So it, it, <laughs> it served its purpose in a lot of ways and taught me a lot of really, really good lessons about um, running a business, like a band as a business, TMing, doing all the kind of back-end stuff that I do in Frontiers. So that, that was really like one of the big, big lessons in that act was was all that kind of back end stuff and just in terms of like we'll get on to like europe in a moment but just in terms of like touring and and stuff like that i always find it interesting like when i do speak to scottish people and i don't mean this to sound as naive as it's going to come across but it's like that whole like south of the border kind of thing so and I know obviously like Scotland has its own scene and, and things like that but like when you were first starting out was 
like coming to England a big thing or was it just a case of like if it happens it happens mm. like did you set a goal for that or I think that's um that that's a finish line that's been constantly moving my whole life so when I began right. up here in the northeast of Scotland I was like how cool would it be to get down to Perth and then I did a gig in Perth I was like how cool would that be to get down to Glasgow and then that happened and so when I was in uni and we first started kind of like going out to like outside of Glasgow down to like Newcastle Carlisle whatever I was like that's awesome that would be so cool if we could do that and if anyone's there amazing and then yeah that expanded to Europe and it's been moving and moving and moving and I think it's a really good thing to have low expectations but have like a high drive and that way you can't be overly disappointed and I've kind of stuck with that (laughs) most of my life and it's, (laughs) it's worked out not too bad but yeah I mean I always thought like you know I'd like, I don't know, I, I'm glad I'm not jaded yet by the whole thing, but, you know, I, I think people work so hard for their money and their time that if anyone wants to turn up to pay you an ounce of attention for the thing that you've worked on, then you owe it to them, whether that's in, you know, um, like Kingsland or whether that's in, you know, Norwich or Germany, wherever it is, like, you, you yeah. should be, you know, giving the same thing to all of those people so yeah I, I you know I'm, I'm happy to get anywhere that allows me to to continue to do the thing that i do hmm. and just so i get my like time frame right because as you said this band like sort of started in like whilst you were all at uni mm-hmm. so was it just in existence whilst you were at uni or did it kind of carry on a little bit after? no that's right yeah so it was just like the three or four years at uni and then i disappeared off to australia and then i met my wife over there who's german and so i'd spent two years out of the country <laughs> okay. like i i totally took off i had you know i'd basically spent from the ages of 12 to 21 learning and studying music every single day so i was kind of like fully burnt out on the whole thing so yeah yeah and like we said that band was like ready to just like disband at that point so uh yeah i I totally took off for two years exited the real world and came back and uh yeah that's when like part two of my my uh, music journey began i suppose so well the reason i uh, i asked that is because i think like I'm honestly trying to think of one and I can't, but like it's unusual for a band, a uni band anyway, that I can think of to sort of be actively touring and kind of go across to to Europe and especially. Mm. So I don't know, like how did that kind of all pan out? Like, was it just like happenstance of the circumstances and were people kind of like actively, because I'm guessing this was like, in the era of like MySpace and stuff, yeah, so, yeah, like, fully, fully like, MySpace. Kind of, yeah, yeah. So we're like, were people like, oh, come to Europe and like, how did it all kind so of? So we we got so lucky, right? So this was in two thousand and nine, uh, two thousand and nine, yeah, it must have been. And so all four of the band members studied on the same music course, so we, right, you know, already had quite a good sort of like musical understanding, so to speak. So that worked fine. And then, in our third year on our course, um, the fourth years and the third years, I think it was, fourth years would act as tour managers for a project, and they would use a third year band as a guinea pig to send to Europe. Oh, okay, and that's so, really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. So I ended up being in the band in the in in the third year and then i ended up being the tm the alternate year after that or the year before i I ended up doing both roles but yeah Mm. our uni ran this project where they'd send you out to germany or france um 
and yeah we ended up going to germany and we did a festival and like a bunch of shows and stuff and it was so well organized and had been running for like 10 years at that point i think so that every time one of the uni bands went over there was always big big crowds organized by the kind of relationship the uni had made with that town so it was just a real kind of you know we got lucky we ended up on a course that allowed us to do something as cool as that and yeah it's like you know I don't know a lot of courses that really do that and that that was the reason I kind of chose that course that's like a blend of like songwriting and music business really was what I studied Mm. and it it totally like set you up to just go and like be a professional in the industry and not just someone that reads music because that's never interested me in my my whole life I I actually (laughs) actively find it very boring even though I teach it it's um it's not the fun bit of music I don't think yeah yeah so just on that because like and I don't want this to sound like it's diminished your experience whatsoever, but like, obviously a lot of people who are in the like alternative world, obviously their route into touring is a lot more DIY mm-hmm. and a lot more kind of sort of mishaps and things like that. So I don't know, like because of the situation you were in, I guess if we maybe like fast forward to, to doing stuff a little bit later on, on down the line, did it set you up like, in good stead or like when things did maybe fall apart a little bit later down the line you were like oh shit this is actually what touring's like yeah a good question so that band i should maybe preface that whole conversation with we did all the diy touring in the uk and that was one of those like i was the guy on myspace emailing and messaging every band in the uk to get shows everywhere and so that was about the whole year or two prior to this kind of situation where we got to go right out to okay yeah, so yeah. we did definitely do a decent bit of like paying our dues in that respect and then we got this sort of situation in germany um but i think that let me see things from a bit of a broader perspective doing the german thing because i'd never done the fly in fly out thing i'd never really kind of had the language barriers i'd never really thought about like stupid things like you know different power supplies for europe i know that sounds dumb but as a band who's never <laughs> yeah. been like your, your power supply is different so like I, I that really did set me up properly so kind of like using the rusty diy version of the band before and then adding on those european skills um it was a shame that basically I came back and then didn't tour again for like four years, but I still had all the knowledge after I disappeared uh, off to Australia and stuff. But I I think it set us up pretty well, but it's a good point that you make because I I do think that it would be easy to feel a bit like you'd skipped the queue in a lot of ways. If you just went from Mm. we're a band now we're touring in Europe and that happens for plenty of people. Absolutely does. I I tour managed a band that that happened with uh, foreign America and they fully skipped the queue. Um, And yeah, I don't know. It definitely makes your opinion, your um point of view on on certain situations you can get into a little bit warped it doesn't really give you a fully like rounded vision of what what the real world is in touring i think mm. and just in terms of like those those uk tours then because i think like it's very interesting to see like what people's kind of perspective of, of that is and sort of how it's kind of shaped them in in some form so i don't know like for you obviously like you as you said like this has been your your life this has been your career sort of thing but like when you were kind of first going out on that like I don't know like was tour because I I think people who maybe again this isn't me sort of having a dig or anything but like for people that like study music like as you say like you find like the reading of it a bit boring and stuff but like people get different things out out of music Mm. But for you, like, was touring always a big aspect of it or was it not until you went on tour that you realised, like, oh, no, this is what I want to do? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was like I studied music because I thought it would allow me to get on the road and tour with a little bit right, more okay. of an, e- an easy journey, which obviously is not true. I mean, re- the reality is if you want to tour, don't go to uni, go and tour. Like that's it. You know, <laughs> you, you are what you practice is, is the message. Yeah, there. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I used it as a vehicle to get me into Glasgow, meet the people that would have let it happen properly because it just won't happen up here. I mean, it, it's just, the, there's no big thriving music scene up here anymore. And uh, yeah, I knew getting down to Glasgow to study would do that for me. And, and yeah, I just, like, it sounds a bit superficial, but every time I would see a band, I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Like just being mm. on the stage, the volume being so loud like people caring that much about the stuff that you've done like all of that and it's still I mean to this day it's like part of the reason that I do it like I do this job so it lets me take three months off a year to tour with Frontier like that's the, yeah, the yeah. ultimate thing it's it's like it's still I think the day that it stops making me excited and grateful and have these experiences it will be the day I, I change careers or whatever but it still mm. is is doing that for me so then if we kind of fast forward as you say like kind of took a period away from from music to go to australia meet your wife and sort of then kind of come back and and sort of, so when you kind of came back was there like an itch to get back into music or did it sort of take a little bit of time like or were mm. you sort of feet on the ground off you go kind of thing I was desperate, yeah, absolutely desperate to to get back into music at that point because I had been working um, random jobs in Germany for the year prior. So I'd worked in factories, worked in garden centres. Yeah, I'd done so many different things, but I was just like, I I need to get back on a stage and just go tour and, and do these things. So I think it took probably about the best parts of a year once I came back. So it was 2012 that I came back to the UK and then um i'd obviously stayed in touch with all the the friends i had still in glasgow mm. and we had one friend at uni that was so much more advanced than everyone with his songwriting and his composition that no one could really kind of keep up with him and it really took us years after finishing uni to get in the same space he was in <laughs> yeah. while we were at uni and so uh he asked me and my buddy Ian who now does Front of House for Frontier if we would start this band with him and it was um, along the lines of like an animals as leaders meets God as an astronaut very oh, nice. progressive but electronic-y sort of thing um, <coughs> and so yeah that's what I was like really really invested in from 2012 until 2015 and this is actually how I met Ped was this band Okay. Um, so this was Mountains Under Oceans and this was when I was really like I feel like I've, I grew the most with tour, tour booking touring managing Th- this is what kind of led me to running a tm and management business it led hmm. me to meet ped and the frontier guys it let me like tour all over the uk and europe it was like the big sort of like leap from this is like a hobby sort of band to yeah like i can maybe make this a part of like a, a big sort of climb in the the career ladder that's cool so then in terms of that because i wanted to obviously touch upon the the tm business as, as well but in terms of like, I guess because of the background you had from like uni and things like that, because I always find like with sort of various bands that like I've been on tour with and, and things like that, you can always see like people have like certain roles w- within it. Like one person will have the kind of like quote unquote TM role. Another person will be like the merch person and so on and so forth. So mm. I don't know, did you just kind of like fall into that naturally or was that something that because of what you'd sort of studied that you were like, okay, I know what I'm doing, 
none of the other guys are maybe savvy on this, so I'll step mm. in and take that role. Um, so I think it was a bit of all of those things. When I was away for the two years that I was away, I, I learned a lot about traveling. I learned a lot about communication, language barriers, how to navigate hairy situations, whether that's like financially or like physically, like mm. in, in a border sort of situation. I'd learned a lot of those kind of skills in those two years. And because I had the experience from touring before, I was kind of like, if I marry these together, I think I'm... You know i can learn quite quickly and so if i watch how bands book tours and i learn that process then i, I i'm reluctant i've always been reluctant to hand over like money or power to someone that's not really that invested in the project if that's right. the band or whatever it is so you know with mountains under oceans i was kind of i had a lot of contacts from um all the previous stuff and the other guys had quite dead set roles and I, I I didn't like the idea of being a part of something that I can't contribute to so yeah that composer songwriter guy he was the drummer but he actually wrote all of the music and then our bass player who is now the front of house for um, Frontier he did all the programming and did all the recording mm. and then uh, I did all of the kind of managerial TM kind of stuff and I made tons of mistakes I mean like that's how you learn like I fucked up so <laughs> yeah. much probably lost thousands of pounds in the wrong ways but from all those things I learned so much and uh, and I think I, I did a okay enough job that people weren't like maybe someone else should do that um so at that <laughs> yeah. point i was also a bit like well if they trust me then I, I can't be that bad at it and that kind of just leveled up until people would ask me to do those kind of things for them and then yeah i ended up tming for a few years and that led to like management and stuff so yeah it was a little bit of like stumbling in the dark but a little bit of kind of knowledge on on a lot of the extremities of touring i suppose mm. and just in terms of like because as you say like this was the band that you sort of like almost kind of honed your craft in some aspects with mm -hmm. and, and things like that but in terms of like the band growth and and things like that like did you always kind of find i don't know because it might be different from an insider point of view but because as you say you had these opportunities to to go all across europe again do these various uk tours and, and things like that and i think like with that sort of style of music it's you either love it or you hate it kind of thing <laughs> yeah. and but the people that love it like fully love it sort of thing yeah. so i don't know did you kind of find it strange like from the inside like the growth of it and how it kind of became slight like slightly bigger and obviously you getting these bigger opportunities and so on and so forth yeah i mean that's one thing I definitely picked up was that people that are the, into this kind of thing that are in this world are really in, you know, they'll buy the three different types of t-shirt you've got. They'll drive for three hours to come see the band, whereas people don't do that for indie bands. They don't do that for like, you know, alternative rock or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think the first time that I saw that was actually um, when we played at TechFest. This band, Mountains Under Oceans, played at TechFest in 2014, I think it was. And we got down there and I didn't really know what to expect because Simon, the guy that organises it, phoned me, um, I think, honestly, like four weeks before um, with a band dropout. And he had right. seen um, the band in Metal Hammer, I think. 
and uh yeah he was like yeah listen to the ep absolutely love it and we'd like you to get get you on the festival and so we went down to play the festival having no idea what to expect and yeah there were people there that were like there to see us and like had you know like standing at the front like they kind of knew how the songs went and were like clapping and stuff and it's just like man that is weird that is like so (laughs) not what i expected because also you know we we were a very soft band for that kind of festival as well. Yeah, like yeah. Tech Fest, if anyone listening doesn't know, is basically seven to nine string guitars, down tuned, <laughs> backing tracks, yeah. sub drops, four days of that. And so we turned up with like these beautiful synth lines and like electronic breakbeat stuff and seven string guitars, yes, but like nothing like the other bands. And I think that worked well for us because everyone was ready for a bit of a rest, to be honest, yeah. and just to kind of hear something a bit more kind of dynamic so um so yeah i really felt that sort of like oh cool like people are really into this kind of thing in other places it's not just in our little circle yeah yeah and before we kind of get on to like your sort of introduction with frontier and stuff like that as i said i just want to kind of touch upon like the tming sort of side of things because i've got a little experience of it but i by no means is like been a career or anything like that but so how did you kind of like pursue it as 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 you say like people was it just people kind of like recommended you and then you kind of built up a client base or or did you actively think oh no like this is something I'm good at I'm going to put my time and energy into sort of making it a quote-unquote business Mm. um it it was a bit of a a culmination of things so um i'd come back to the uk in 2012 and by 2014 i had done so many shit jobs that i hated (laughs) when i was back in glasgow i did call center stuff i'd worked in bars i'd worked in offices uh and then i did one job as an events manager for a soft drinks company that was quite fun but by this point this band had done quite a lot of cool things and some people were asking if I could do the, like basically book tours in the first instance, which I could do. I've kind of I've always done that. So I was like, yeah, mm. I'll do that as the first thing. And then maybe if they don't know what they're doing, I'll do the advancing. And if they don't know how that works, then I'll maybe come on like the weekend of that tour. And then it was always friends, though. It was always people that I knew I could kind of like like they could trust me and if it was a disaster we could have a laugh like i thought yeah. that would be how that would go and then um this job had restricted holidays and i was like kind of trying to use my whole summer for touring and i just wasn't getting the time off and it wasn't working and then a guy that i met at TechFest um basically lectured uh, sound production in glasgow and he, he was like yeah i've obviously seen how you've organized this weekend and like see, i've seen your name around and stuff and he was like i'll give you two days a week lecturing and you can bin off that job if you want and it'll pay the same for like doing a week of work so i was like hell yes and so i ended <laughs> up um lecturing music business two days a week and then i was like i just gave everything to being after that so it was a blend of booking for tours and then hopping on for a week here and there to kind of see if I could do the TM thing for other people instead of my own band. And those were mm. friends like Vasa or um, who else? Like A Sudden Burst of Colour, all Glasgow-based sort of bands. And then I had met um, a guy called Max Taylor Grant, who has subsequently changed my life in many ways, a, a dear, dear friend of mine. But he was a full-time TM for bands like tosca or dorje like anything to do with chapman guitars or rob chapman or bia he was a tm for right then he ended up doing like uh, 12 foot ninja monuments all these big bands and um i had a bit of a dry spell in the summer of 20 
uh, must have been 16 I guess and um, a band called Milestones were on tour with Simple Plan um, they had just come back from three months in the States and they had like a month in Europe without a TM Max ended up having to go to Russia with um, 12 Foot Ninja so he said to me do you want to take this band around Europe for a month with Simple Plan it's like a bus tour so there's like a lot of extra TM things to organise and it's obviously in arenas it's it's not a, a venue tour it's an arena tour Yeah. and I was just like man I, I really want to learn how to do this and if I ever want to kind of get to that next level of like how to actually TM and PM like a full serious tour then I'll I'll just do that and so yeah I basically just hopped in, in the van with those guys and um, learned a lot of the larger scale kind of things and just from that one tour I'd ended up meeting so many contacts and meeting so many people and bands and it's just like when you know people and they can see your work ethic and you can like deliver a decent standard I, like I think people just doing the the baseline rubbish version of a job is way too normal and it's very normalized in <laughs> yeah. every industry so if you can just do a little bit above baseline standard I think people will take that quite a long way and that's you know it's always kind of steered me pretty well so yeah it's just been like a series of these sort of things happening throughout the years and then obviously being on tour with Frontier and Sectioned has opened a bunch more of those doors um, and so yeah I effectively from like 2014 until 2018 was full-time managing TMing touring and then two days a week lecturing and you mm. know the whole summer was free from lecturing and the guy that ran the course was a legend he was just like if you need to tour we'll sort it out like don't worry about this like we'll we'll sort it sort of thing so That's yeah awesome. i had a, a really amazing spell from like 2013 14 up to when i took this job two years ago to 2019 good mm. yeah. well that's what i was going to ask so like, what's your kind of relationship with it now because i know like you kind of sort of transitioned into the more sort of management sort of side of, of things so mm. is that more kind of like your predominant role now or do you still do a bit of the TMing like where are you with it at the moment so inherently with um given as much as I did to that side of the industry it really really burnt me out and and right in my kind of like last couple of years with the business from like 2016 to 2018 I was doing like 70 hours a week and you know just so so busy that I had worked myself into like really bad ill mental health and it was okay. really taking a toll in, in a number of areas of my life and so I needed a bit more balance and stability and so the TMing thing was you know it's so hit and miss like sometimes an act will take you for a week sometimes it'll be a month sometimes they'll pay you 50 bucks a day sometimes it'll be 300 a day and there's it's just so all over the place and i think for someone yeah, yeah. that doesn't have a wife and doesn't need stability in their life that's amazing but i grew up with quite a lot of instability so i i seek stability in, in areas of my life now so um i decided to bin off the tm in and then i kept the management going for a while um and i ended up managing um right up to uh and so i watch you from afar like quite a big northern irish band mm. were one of my favorite bands for 10 years and it was like a total highlight of my music career but a lot of pressure you know it's it's a band that have toured all over the world every continent and have had billboard sort of sales like big big act and again my head wasn't in the right space so after that I was kind of like yeah I'm I'm gonna solely work on bands that I'm in or act that I'm involved in directly um, and then maybe look for a more stable side of of music employment if you want to see it that way and it was like a stars aligning sort of situation um, a job went up uh, to lecture music in the place that I studied first at a college up here in Aberdeen and I'd never thought for a second I would get it like I literally 
left it to the hour before the deadline for the job to apply because I was so like there's just no chance I've not really formally studied music for 10 years I've not taught really ever other than a music business class that was to facilitate me doing another job yeah, and yeah. so yeah I went and did it and like two weeks later the the guy that runs this course I teach on now um yeah he, he offered me the position and like it might sound a little bit cheesy or a bit kind of like out there but it, it was like such a lottery win for me like it, it genuinely mm. was like a life changer because I was so depressed so anxious and you know I had caused so much like difficulty for my wife as well who you know has a very normal job she's a nurse and when I say normal that doesn't mean easy it's just no, not no, no. the same I get what you mean. world yeah, yeah, so yeah. um so a lot of financial stress on her and we were getting married and a whole bunch of stuff so that happened and I was just like I said to all the bands I was working with and all the guys in our bands I was just kind of like listen my life is just going down the toilet if I don't do this. Like I can physically see the trajectory. I am going to be suicidal. I just don't want to do it. And uh, yeah, everyone's been am- amazingly supportive. All the bands I was managing were, of course, very, very supportive. Mm. And so that turned into um, lecturing full time up here in Aberdeen. But because it's a college, we get so much time off. And uh, yeah, I can use basically all of that for touring with Frontier or maybe Section once that might ever happen again. But uh, yeah, it's ended up being a really amazing thing. I've got so much more balance um, and just so much happier with the way things are in my life now. So it's, it's been a, a pretty turbulent sort of ride over the last five years from like being like in the absolute sort of like center of the music universe <laughs> to mm. being a little bit on the fringes but in a much more controlled manageable way and it suits <laughs> yeah, my life definitely. much more so that's really cool and i'm like i'm super glad that you were kind of able to sort of have that perspective of things because i think it's very easy for anyone to be in that situation think that they're like having like they're living the dream of this this job that they've kind of scrapped their way to Mm. and as you say like the possibility of spiraling is is 100 there like i totally understand that so it's really cool to hear that you sort of were were able to get the clarity and the stability that you seek that's really really fucking cool yeah thanks yeah no it's it's definitely it's it's such a a horrible part of the music industry though I, i was talking about this on the heavy mental podcast and it's just like there's this expectation that if you work full time in music you just have an endless well of energy and like <laughs> availability and it's, it's it's just not fair like you get paid less than almost every other industry and expected to work twice as much and you're the first thing to get axed when there's a global pandemic like all these things <laughs> yeah it's just like i don't know I, at some point i was just a bit like i've got too much respect for myself to just like yeah end up as another statistic of a male that's had a terrible terrible time over the course of a career that's just grinded him down and Mm. yeah yeah I mean I I won't lie I I fully had like a couple of mental breakdowns in that process that led me to make that decision with a little bit of perspective but had I not done that yeah it could have ended up much much worse so Mm. yeah I'd, I'd urge anyone that feels like it's getting the best of them and you made a really good point there it's like you, you at some point you go right i'm in milan and i'm with one of these enormous stadium selling bands this is meant to be the dream why am i miserable why do i miss my wife why yeah. am i hungry like all these things and you're like this is it like this is what i've spent half my life working towards and i just knew i wasn't getting those feelings that i should be getting and it was the same like we mentioned with going to that first travis gig i wasn't getting that feeling and i i thought this time around it's like i need to do the things that do give me that and that's 
playing with bands or playing in bands and, and traveling with people in a, a less stressful hectic sort of um yeah environment mm. that's the thing like i think like for an outsider perspective like people will look at it and be like oh but you're touring like you're touring the world it must be so much fun and stuff like that but it's like people don't see like the stressful side of it like <laughs> as i said like i've done like no nowhere near to the extent that you have but like i've done some like tming and stuff and i did a tour uh sort of beginning of god yeah 2020 fucking old time is a thing isn't it um but like it was like a month long tour in europe and our our van broke down in leon and we were playing in turin the next day mm-hmm. so france to italy the stress of like one there being a language barrier in france of like trying to get the van fixed Two, trying to explain that we need to be on the road and tur- in, to go to Turin within four hours. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, the mental drive from one country to another. Yeah. Like, that, like, I was just, like, literally, like, str- like a stress ball. <laughs> yeah. And, like, obviously, when, when I got to the venue, it was fine. But, like, yeah. that was probably one of the most stressful experiences of my life. Yeah. Yeah, and it's exactly. like, oh yeah, you you're having a whale of a time on yeah. tours. Like, no, I'm not. Yeah, you've summarized it perfectly. <laughs> that is exactly right. Nobody sees that bit. And and the the thing that I liked but ultimately learned to hate about being a TM is that you are responsible for all of that. You know, yeah. the other seven people in the van, you know, they they put their hands up and say, Well, we're not the TM, you fix it. And that, you know, that is a hard thing to do when like the thing that they love is in your hands. And yeah, if that's mm. a language barrier, if that's a, a border to a different country, if you've messed up the time zone change from Romania to Hungary, like all these things that I've done many, many times, like that it, it sits on you and that's a pretty difficult thing to do. So yeah, you're right. A, a lot of people don't see that side. And I'm, I'm I hope I don't come across to people listening as being ungrateful. I'm not, but it's oh, no, you know, no, no, you nobody so. can comment on that until you've been there and you've done it and unfortunately it, it wasn't for me in the long term i love doing it for frontier because it's like a bit of a dip of the toe back in the pond and yeah and, yeah you know it's fun because it's you know it's, it's our band but i, I, I yeah. wouldn't do it unless it was like an absolute emergency and the money was ridiculous <laughs> there's no way i'd do it again <laughs> well i think that's a good segue into kind of like frontier and stuff so i'm not gonna ask you about the whole sort of origins of it because Obviously, I had Ped on the show, so if people want to find that out, go and listen to that episode. But obviously, Frontier is a strange beast because it did start as Ped's baby mm. and then obviously grew into what we see it is now. So what you mentioned, obviously, you met Ped through like the previous band, but how did you become part of Frontier and what was your kind of relationship with the band before you joined? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So um, Glasgow and Edinburgh's music scenes are vastly different, even though they're only 25 Mm. miles apart, they are like worlds apart musically. And so I had always loved the music scene in Glasgow, never rated it in Edinburgh. I thought there was one or two bands, maybe, and they would always play in Glasgow. So I, I really didn't rate much of what was happening in Edinburgh. Um, and so I'd always seen Section's name flying around and um, I'd seen them s- support like Full of Hell and Core Orange and a bunch of these bands like way back in the day, 2013, 2014. And um, the last... so when this band I was in I'd mentioned before um we're doing our last show 
um, sectioned were the okay, support cool. band, and um, and so I'd never met the guys in the band, but obviously I'd known from like how ferocious their music was, and the I mean the bill didn't really work because like I said we were not actually that heavy. <laughs> yeah. It was very much more like you know Mastodon meets like yeah explosions in the sky. It, it wasn't anything near that sort of like mathy um, hardcore thing. So. But I had listened to that music for years and loved the music of that sort of realm. So I was like so pumped we had such a good support band. And then that was the tour that section fell apart drastically right. because they had gotten halfway through a tour with um, Nerve Wrecker, I think it was at the time. And uh, yeah, basically they had to come back part way through a tour, I think it was. And so I'd obviously exchange numbers with ped or facebook or something because i've always been like the networking guy and you know like after being in music for so long you can see the people that will always do something interesting and ped as soon as i saw him play i was like that guy will whatever it will be it Mm. will be interesting that he does and so we'd kept in touch on facebook for a bit my band had disbanded that was our final show that version of section had kind of been written off a bit this with the lineup clashes and stuff and so yeah he messaged me and he was like well yeah you play seven string guitars we need a guitar player what do you think about doing the section thing and i was like yeah hell yeah like i love that sort of like really fast thrashy sort of messy kind of music um and that was the year that orange mathematics came out and suddenly sectioned were just like a pin drop in the ocean (laughs) of how big frontier were (laughs) so ped was then like well let's shift the personnel and we'll we'll do that and you know if frontier doesn't work we can always go back to sectioned and truth be told i didn't really like frontier's music as much as sectioned in fact i didn't like anywhere yeah. near as much I, I thought it was a bit too computerized and a bit too quantized and a bit lifeless at first um it took me a long time to get my head around orange mathematics um and then yeah after that came out and really blew up then yeah we ped was like do you want to try it and i was kind of like well I'll, you know i'm not hugely into it but yeah let, let's try it and I kind of fell in love with the songs once I'd kind of like learned to yeah. deconstruct them. But I think the initial bludgeoning of how that record sounds is is quite hard oh, to get through. Yeah, yeah. I really tip my hat to fans that are clicking with it immediately because I, I, I didn't even really for like a year nearly. And then it was only when the songs were played with a band that I was kind of like, ah, right, <laughs> yeah. this this all makes sense. But yeah, to just hear it as a wall of noise, I much preferred sectioned. So and then yeah basically built from that whole idea of uh, that tech fest show that he had mentioned for 2016 and then it just kind of took off after that as a pretty pretty good relationship so like just in terms of that because i think it's quite interesting that as you say like you weren't necessarily like a fan of it and like it was it was like maybe, maybe internet phenomenon is not the right term but it was one of those records that just seemed to blow mm-hmm. up yeah. out of nowhere so when like Ped approached you to say like oh I'm thinking of doing this as a live thing was there a kind of a bit of a curiosity from your point of view because of the success it was having online that you would kind of wanted to see like okay I kind of want to see where this goes rather than like yeah i'm a massive fan yeah. let's jump in yeah in absolutely sort of like i was saying before like if if you get a chance to like within the realms of your world quote unquote sell out then why wouldn't you like to me this is a bit of a golden ticket for a genre that i really like but yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. a niche version of it that i'm not sold on yet that's kind of how i saw it and so 
I mean, like all the big things I've ever achieved in my life have been me being out of my comfort zone. And I'll make no qualms about saying that I really had to like work to get those songs down for Frontier. Like, I mean, really like back to what I did when I was mm. a teenager, like sit learn for like six hours a day for months and months and months. And I, I was the worst player in that room every time for like six months i was just not up to the standard but i don't know what it is with my brain but i just i feel like when i get this idea or this notion in my head to like do a thing it is i'm just obsessive with it until it it becomes what i want it to be and so yeah i, I wrestled and just fucking headlocked those songs until they sounded like they were supposed to and um and it was real real work like it really felt like i was like out of my depth many many times but um yeah just kind of stuck with it and then when it all came together it did have a bit of that lightning in a bottle feel and like i said everyone in the band had been going to gigs playing gigs done all that stuff for so long that you can kind of feel it when it's in the room and it's difficult to fake that or for there to be like a like an unauthentic version of that so when i felt it all click in the room i was kind of like yeah i'm at the standard i want to be but i know if this was in front of people then they would feel that and and that's been the big selling point of frontier is the live show ultimately is you know us being able to create that synergy and Mm. kineticism and that being like thrown at people in in audiences that's been the thing that has, has given us the chance to tour all over the world yeah and just like in terms of that like you say the that kind of synergy of of being a live band and i know you've said it on in other interviews and ped mentioned it when i had him on that like that first tech fest show was a bit kind of like (laughs) skin of the teeth sort of like this is cool but we're not quite there sort of thing but we'll give it a go but obviously like now you guys have obviously toured all across europe and stuff you've done various festivals and like it's a lot more like without it sounding like mm. horrible like a polished yeah. sort of act sort of thing but like and and as you say like that live experience like sort of like the visceralness of it as well is like a big part of it so has that been a conversation that you guys have, have kind of had like i guess it's kind of like talking about like the strobes and like the elements that you're bringing into it live rather than it just being five guys stood there on stage yeah fucking wailing around sort of thing have you kind of like had conversations of like how we can make this the best live experience possible yeah really good question so that's like twofold there's the production element of it and then there's the live organic element of it and funnily enough one i think one of the reasons ped actually wanted me in the band was not because of my guitar playing ability but just because of what i look like when i'm on a stage and just (laughs) just before um we had that show with sectioned there's a video of me from a festival in shetland with my old band crowd surfing and i mean it wasn't really that often you'd get bands that would do that kind of thing in central belt of scotland really so i think he was a bit like holy crap i want that guy in my band if you can get people to do that i want that and then it was like you know it's on him to learn the songs which is exactly how it went um so there's always been that sort of element of it and i think ped in the early days maybe needed a bit of confidence from someone else in the band to kind of get him into that position of not feeling self-conscious or whatever it was because Mm. the first few shows he wasn't really as bouncy and in the 
moment as he is now like that tech yeah. fest video is a great example he is rooted to that pedal board pretty much for the whole thing so um so i think he's grown in confidence off the back of having people in the band and it's like any band it evolves every tour it evolves every time you're in the room and and now it's at a point where we have enough confidence in each other that we don't need to be staring in each other's eyes and looking for the cues it's all real muscle memory mm. and so that frees up all this kind of mental capacity to just really give the performance and yeah there, there's never been a, a, a kind of chat about like okay on this song you're going to go into the stage left on this song you'll be in the crowd it's just a, an as and when sort of thing sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't i've done a couple of stage dives where nobody's caught me and i've fallen flat on my back <laughs> i've you know i've been hanging from things and nobody's caught me like tons of times and it, it makes no difference to me i'm having the best night of my life in that yeah, moment yeah. i couldn't care less if people are doing it or not um and so then with the production element as the band was kind of growing and getting a bit bigger and there's a bit more finance available that's when we were like so we love the ethos and the energy of like a hardcore band and a you know a diy sort of community but we want it to feel professional as well we don't want it to Mm. just be like you know crust punks like living in a van it needs to have a bit of like a production to it so yeah that's when we kind of got like the strobes some programmed lights and yeah a bit like uh backdrops and things like that and so we do it the, the hard way around because we don't play to a click so that means that our back and track has to be triggered by a midi keyboard so we right. we have our, our kind of lighting engineer guy come with us on tour and he'll literally play the songs in the pattern of the drums on a midi yeah. keyboard and um and so yeah traditionally you wouldn't do that that's the hard way normally you would um make a back and track that would have a midi out to program drums it would program guitar changes and and back and track changes and that would all just send all that signal out but it's a very robotic non sort of you know like energetic way of doing things and every band in our scene tends to do that at some point and it's usually pretty boring because there's just you know there's no life around it it's just everything's on tracks everything's the same tempo and yeah i don't know i think it's more exciting to kind of have it feel like real humans and not robots so Mm. um yeah so it's ended up at that point now where we use a sample pad we've got like a strobe set up we've got an external sort of light set up um and it's all kind of manually operated i guess yeah that's cool and just like i think it's quite funny that you mentioned that one of the reasons Ped wanted you was because of how you are live. And I think like, I've been fortunate enough to see you guys a a few times now. And I think like you are, you like as good as Ped is as a guitarist and as a dominant present as Chad is as a vocalist, you are someone that your eye is drawn to because like you're really frantic. You're, as you say, you're jumping off stuff and all this sort of thing, but speaking to you now and like hearing you in other, other interviews and to some extent going on to what you're doing with lift is of like you're quite a calm and chilled person so like yeah. when you're on stage like i'm not saying like oh you transform to this other person but like <laughs> do you like is that just is that your release is that like i guess kind of going back to like the mental health sort of side of things like you may have all these like pen up pen up emotions and like you go on stage and it's like bang i'm away sort of thing yeah. is that how you feel yeah um it, it's pretty broad so yeah i've heard that quite a lot and yeah thanks very much for for saying that it's always nice to feel like people are appreciating what's happening on the stage um yeah i mean i am naturally quite a like chilled person now hasn't always been the case and i've had <laughs> yeah. like a lot of like 
anger issues through my teen years and my early 20s and I just I never knew what to do with it except play music I'd play music it would go away it would build up I'd play music it would go away and that's just how it's been for so long Mm. until I actually had those kind of few meltdowns and then it was like well I need to learn like I have to work out why this is I can't be in a band forever and uh, eventually it'll catch up with me so um yeah I guess it was a blend of like still being in that sort of early phase with frontier of like working out what my sort of like mental health issues were and like i don't know yeah it's like the music is inherently very aggressive so it allows that sort of like primitive um caveman sort of uh expression without any consequences if you remove the band from that equation and you'd watch a man screaming to himself while almost on the verge of tears for 45 minutes you'd phone the hospital like that's not a normal (laughs) thing to do so when i looked at it like that i was like right i need to get this under control because that you know it's cathartic but in the long term that's probably not very healthy yeah yeah so yeah i mean it's always been my way of like dealing with just like childhood things or like the way that my kind of brain works with anxiety and depression but now i guess since like 2017 2018 i've seen it much more as catharsis and um after tours i would have like a real sort of debrief work out how i'm feeling about everything and i'd kind of really like sift through all of it maybe there was a night where um i drank before i played on stage which i don't really do and why was that and then i'd think about that after then there'd maybe be a day where i snapped and i was really really just mean to the band for no reason and i'd want to work about all that so i started to kind of like sift through all that sort of stuff and now i i've got coping mechanisms and sort of like ways to like um like reverse engineer why i've done things and it's I've, i've got a lot of ways to deal with that in a much healthier way so it means now that i don't have the guilt of feeling like i'm just lashing out on a stage without purpose now there's a purpose to it it feels cathartic and it's an honest expression of how i feel when i play that music instead of it being a very confusing violent outburst of emotions which i think people probably would prefer the latter but for for my health it's important <laughs> yeah. that i've worked out the former so it's it's been evolving and i think it will continue to evolve because now there's been a complete tip to the other side where i've not had the cathartic outlet and i've had to fill all of those ways of expressing myself with things like running or surfing or most of the things i do now or write a record like that lift record but again Mm. that will eventually tip back to being mostly frontier mostly crowd surfing mostly screaming every night and so i think there'll be a bit of um restorative balance needed at some point in that journey um but yeah i feel like it's it's a bit more under control now instead of just like a rabid frothing dog like it was in the early days (laughs) (laughs) that's cool um and then just in terms of like i guess your like quote-unquote role within frontier obviously we've mentioned like the sort of tming side of things and and stuff like that and obviously like ped is still the predominant songwriter of the band but like with with the band moving more from being like an online project to a full band like where do you fit in in terms of like songwriting and things like that do you still do you leave it predominantly to ped or do you chip in with things where, where do you kind of fit into that yeah i mean ped's really opened up a lot in the last couple of years in the last couple of records about everyone's input um i think in the beginning he was quite staunch on being like this is my baby and it's going to be my way and that's it sort of mm. thing with unloved he had sent um like an unmastered version of the record and he was like 
tell me everything you love tell me everything you hate and what do you think would make it better and to me that was like oh cool like i didn't even expect that for a second and so we yeah, did yeah. that and then with this new record um he was fully open to ideas if we'd send him stuff he, he'd consider it. if we'd be like nah that sucks let's just totally change that song he's really perceptive to that this time around um and he has collaborations with some really really big names on on this new record as well which is you know he's he's had guest spots before but he's not really had like quote-unquote collaborations before so yeah. yeah he's been very open to that this time so um i in terms of like my input with that although you know i lecture composition and I, I write my own records i i don't really want to interfere with what ped's doing musically because he's just got it down to such a fine art that i feel like mm. i would dilute it in the wrong ways um if there was space for me to add something melodic or something a bit more sort of cinematic then i then i'd love to do that but there's i like not to sound like i'm blowing smoke up his ass but there's just very few people in that world of music that can produce and play guitar and write in the way that he can to the mm. standard that he can I, I think you're really down to like limited numbers of people that can do it so i know my place that that's not my thing i've tried to write frontier and section songs before and they just sound like a very cheap knockoff and you know would never <laughs> want that to be the case so um so yeah my role's kind of from the beginning really been a lot of back-end stuff so yeah a lot of like how do we use the money that we have how do we get to america how do we get to canada what does that look like with a cost sheet and you know a, a, you know a price analysis like the boring end of things but ultimately is the stuff that keeps bands alive so like a, yeah. a lot of that end of the spectrum and then anything to do with live um so if that's tming advancing planning logistics that's all my role um and ped's been a lot more um kind of collaborative on that in the last few years he he really was interested in learning about the tming side of things and had kind of until recently we just took on um avocado for our tours in, in europe but until then um the last couple of tours ped's been really hands-on and helped book a bunch of dates and stuff which has been cool. cool um and then yeah day to day my like my nickname in the band is band dad <laughs> so it's just like yeah the, the usual sort of things that someone has to do is like yeah organize like the budget for the day like yeah the pm like all the kind of daily things and um and then more recently now a lot more social media because i've had to do a lot of the stuff for lyft um mm. that's an area that frontier have been lacking in in a lot of ways is like being good on social media it's usually just like a couple of posts that are either like shit posts or teasers or merch and there's not really any sort yeah, of like yeah. long-term engagement so i've been kind of doing a bit of that lately and um and yeah, I mean, it's it's quite an evolving relationship, but yeah, primarily it's me, Ped and Chad that do all the kind of like heavy lifting business wise. They do the creative stuff and then on tour, the other guys have their sort of independent roles as well. But it's, it's a really good working relationship. It took us a few years to get there, but I think it's everyone's got a pretty good sort of um, grasp of what they're doing within the, the, the group. That's cool. So just in terms of like, in terms of like the actual songs and things, so I think this might be a good example because obviously the new record is kind of in the process of things at the moment. So will it be a case of like Ped writes everything and then records it and whatever and then just as, I don't want to say sends it to you for approval, but like are you actively recording parts and putting it in or are you taking a more of a backseat role in that aspect? So yeah, Ped does all of the recording. So he'll do all the guitars, all the bass, program, all the drums. He will do all of that. Um, and mm. in terms of 
send in ideas yeah he'll basically be like what do you think about this riff does it connect well with this do you think this kind of works in terms of like rhythmic shift and so with this album particularly he's been a lot more open to that in the past it's been here's the record and yeah track order is that okay sort of thing but (laughs) now now it's a much more like um yeah we, we kind of give a bit more feedback and yeah like i think that's good but I, I don't like i know that he feels like a bit guilty as kind of being the you know the the future of the band because he writes all of the music but you know it's successful because he wrote it so i like yeah. in a lot of ways i wish he would kind of like just drop the guilt because you know he's such like on the surface maybe doesn't seem it but pet's such a sensitive soul like he really wants us to be involved as much as we can be but yeah i don't know like sometimes i think if it you know ain't broke (laughs) if it's ain't broke don't break it sort of thing but yeah yeah. you know we don't need to mix with the whole thing too much i think giving good input and uh and yeah guiding a bit where we can but yeah it's all from his brain so you know we can't get in there and do anything except tell my thoughts so then like from your perspective as a guitarist then because obviously he's the other guitarist and is obviously writing the, the well he's writing the whole thing sort of thing so like it's once like a song's done or whatever, is he sending you like I don't because I'm not musically sort of inept in any way, <laughs> but like is he sending you like tabs or whatever, or are you, <laughs> is he just sending you the song and you're oh, kind of th- this is where it it gets, how does that work? It gets a bit difficult because a lot of bands that kind of work in this world will use software that will um they will process an audio file and then show you music that you can play but ped doesn't use that ped records videos (laughs) and sends us videos and he plays the riff he plays it slower then he'll play it again he'll play it slower so it's literally like a one-to-one guitar lesson with every song and so yeah he'll put a bunch of videos on youtube unlisted and we'll just watch them until we're all like yes we can get in a room and let's see what happens um that's that's the bit i was saying before like i to this day i still need so much time to learn these songs and the good thing with this new record is that there's a lot less mad frantic shit that's in orange mathematics um and a lot more groove and rhythm and so that's way more my wheelhouse than the lead stuff so so i've listened to the new record so much now that i kind of know the patterns and it's like any band like once you've listened to a band long enough you spot their kind of bag of tricks and so with ped i kind of know how his brain works rhythmically so i can spot where things are going to change and i know like rhythms that he'll kind of recycle a little bit so it's been a bit better this time around but um yeah it's a lot of like watching him play playing it back watching him play playing it back (laughs) lengthy process that's cool well if we then kind of move on to where you're at at the moment and obviously sort of this new project that you've you've put out into the world in Lyft. And I think going back to very early on in this conversation, you have been saying that you became a fan of bands like Pelican and Isis and not saying that this sounds anything like that, but you can, I can definitely make that through line now nice. that yeah. I have that information. But where did the kind of idea for this project come from? Where was the sort of will to pursue it? Because I think a lot of people myself included likes to think that they can kind of create this thing but to put it out into the world is a different kettle of fish altogether mm-hmm. so yeah talk me through that process and how it kind of came to be in the world yeah i mean it is, it's a really daunting thing to put any music out into the world and this gave me such a different perspective of ped's role in our band actually not to link back to frontier but i've 
I've not done the fully write, record, produce, release, be the whole engine. I've never done that. Mm. I've always had other people to kind of lean on in that. So um, this was an amazing look into the pressures that he has to deal with on a very small scale because what I was doing is nothing in in the world of the success that Frontier has had. So yeah, effectively I had been planning to write a record for a long time and I hadn't really had the right sort of gap in the schedule or the right kind of like headspace or the right theme really. And yeah, I'm kind of of that generation where I feel like a record really needs to have like a consistent sort of like beginning, middle and an end, like the album sort mm. of thing. Like I, I love that and I seek that out in, in music and I wanted that to be whatever this would have ended up being. But it wasn't really coming together with my first theme, which was to like write a track for every member of my family and the music would like represent the um, relationship that I have with that person. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, but also maybe a little bit like I've not really worked out a lot of the difficulties I've had in my life with that and I think it was maybe right, too yeah. close to the bone so I put that on the shelf and never thought much about it lockdown happened and then I had to move all of my work stuff home so I basically had to make a studio at home so that I could kind of teach properly online and then I was like well I've got all this stuff I might as well try write something and uh yeah that was in the um must have been the May June of 20. 20 yeah just uh, right after lockdown um and then i was just kind of like yeah i'll just get some ideas down do some synth stuff work out the software a bit more had a couple of ideas um never fabricated very much and so yeah i'd left it on the back burner for a bit and then um, me and my wife went through quite a kind of traumatic situation and i was just kind of like man i need to just focus on something i don't care what it is but it can't be getting drunk mm. midday it can't be playing on tour i don't have that <laughs> yeah. so like yeah let's make some music and that turned into like soft synth pads and so i, I just basically got really obsessed with making like synthy electronic sort of sounds no intention to make a record mm. i was just kind of processing grief really and then like a month went by and i had kind of like created a bit of an intro to something that turned into like basically what the first track is now and i was like yeah not too bad managed to link that to like a second song and I was doing a lot of stuff outdoors like a lot of like sea swimming and uh, like I do a lot of like distance running so I was around nature a lot mm. so I was like okay I'll maybe try replicate some of those sounds so these two songs kind of linked together and yeah it went not too badly and then before I knew it I had like basically six or seven songs a bunch of people involved sent the stuff out to um Venn Records and yeah they they're really really into it and then it kind of took off from there but it's been a, a really exposing sort of like um yeah quite overwhelming journey to be honest it's been a lot of different things mm. to kind of process and try and like manage and not be consumed by i found that like the balance of that quite difficult and because obviously like you're predominantly a guitarist and and okay like you're you're teaching sort of music and and obviously as you say you have these tools to your disposal but maybe not necessarily use them to to write your own mm-hmm. stuff sort of thing so did you find that kind of a weird transition like going from like kind of a more analog instrument in a guitar mm-hmm. to it being synth and digital plugins and things yeah like that? It, it, yeah it's definitely quite a quite a difficult thing to rein in because like everything I've written before has been a guitar based sort of band but I wanted this to have no limitations and if that would mean that I was singing on some tracks or I was playing keys on some or whatever I just wanted it to be like kind of like boundless in as many ways as possible and 
yeah that actually was really freeing in a lot of ways because it meant that i you know i didn't really have to stick to guitar i think there's probably collectively about three minutes of guitar on the whole record so it's like it's really nice to just have the the kind of different tools and to feel a bit like um a novice again because it's like you spend so much time in this echo chamber of the one bit of music that you know well you do become a little bit sort of like you know a lot of the stuff that comes with it whereas this software logic that i was using i was really learning how to use that as a production tool instead of a way of tracking guitars and so then i was learning how mm. to produce a little bit and that tied in with how i was learning to make synths and like 808s and and it was just this like real nice coming together of like learning a skill making some mistakes oh that sounds kind of cool i'll maybe do a bit of production thing on that and then it snowballed into um some sounds i was like really really proud of in the end um but it started out very vast it's quite hard to narrow that down to like instruments that would make sense on this kind of record well I, that was the other thing i was going to ask because like i've I played around with Logic for a very little bit and my mind just couldn't mm. comprehend it. So I was like, no, I'm throwing that away. But like, in terms of like editing and bringing it down and, and stuff like that, like, I guess in some ways, because we had lockdown, you had the opportunity to do it. But did you find that a difficult process? Because like, as you say, you're, you're kind of, kind of like a kid in a candy shop like you've got all these options so you want to play with the violin you want to play with the synth you want to play with the keyboard and so so did you find that editing process quite yeah totally and i was the exact same as you um i was doing an instagram live with um so that guy ian that's the front of house for um frontier is also the mixing engineer for this record he's been in every he's been in every music project i've done since i was 17 or 18 like he's literally been in in everything in some fashion um so yeah yeah, effectively i had tried logic for years couldn't get my head around it i got this job and then i had to teach a very basic kind of rudimentary production class i was like well i, I can't not be good at it now i have got to learn the basics <laughs> yeah. so I, I relearned it for the purpose of teaching with it and i could do enough to teach and no more but then i was like well okay so if i can learn that much i can learn as much as i need and so yeah i i, I spent like probably three or four months really just like learning logic properly and then I initially was quite frustrated with that whole process of like the editing but when I changed my kind of view on it 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 made it much more easy so I kind of viewed it as a way to kind of like turn things into puzzle pieces and then I could just move those puzzle pieces around and that's a really a much more proactive way for me to use it because it means Mm. that I can see a song in front of me in a very visual sort of way instead of just like yeah getting stuck recording over and over again so yeah ended up being quite a a good tool but yeah it took me months to get my head around it's quite frustrating (laughs) and just in terms of kind of like again sort of putting it out into the world and, and stuff like that like because because it's quite sort of vastly different from what people are maybe like used to you doing obviously like with frontier and and sectioned and stuff like that like i don't know were you like tentative about putting it out into the world rather than it just being like your own private project or i don't know like because going back to sort of like the catharsis sort of side of things and you saying like the the element of frontier almost being taken away that you thought like okay i need i just need to create so i'm going to put it out into the world and just see what happens yeah it was really difficult because i was like like i had said my um 
the kind of performance that I give with Frontier is very, very expressive. And so that's usually been my way of coping with uh, a number of feelings, mm. positive or negative. And because I didn't have that, I was like, right, I need to find a way to feel the release of that without being on a stage roaring my head off. And that's what this album became. It was the pursuit of that feeling of catharsis um, and yeah, without having to like be on tour or whatever. So um, I think the initial trying to capture that and express that in a way that other people would click with, it was a difficult thing. Like I'm, I'm quite systematic in the way that I think and I like to break things down and sort of like analyze them. And so when I thought about what do I want people to feel with this record, I kind of had to reverse engineer how I wanted to feel about it and then think about how I actually translate that into something after I'd gone through this spell of just having to be distracted, basically. And um, mm. and yeah, that, that was really difficult. I, I think in the end, I, my biggest qualms were with feeling like it was good enough to sit in Spotify next to, you know, like Billie Eilish or Arca or Radiohead. Like ultimately <laughs> yeah. that's what it would be. It would be a song in a playlist that would sit next to something like that. So was I proud enough of it to then say, yeah, I, I, I can live with how this is next to those sort of things. And I was in the end, I wasn't in the beginning. And like I said, it wasn't meant to be a release until it, it got to that point. And I had people involved that I've like idolized in, in many ways for years. And so when I thought they were happy to put their name to it, that also kind of gave me this sort of confidence to be like, well, yeah, maybe it is actually quite good. And yeah, I think in the end, I just wanted someone to kind of feel the escapism and the catharsis that I had created for myself and felt like I'd captured mm. in some way in that record. And, and uh, yeah, that, that was in the end enough for me to be like, yeah, I can let go of this and, and give it to the world sort of thing. Mm. And I don't usually kind of like ask the cliche question of like, what does the band name <laughs> mean? But like, because of something you mentioned, I think I've made the connection. So you said that like, that you, your wife and yourself kind of went through sort of a different difficult patch of something. And obviously the music that is created with Lyft, like there's darkness to it, but it's kind of like ethereal and it is quote unquote uplifting. Mm -hmm. So was that why the name Lyft and obviously then the, the album of the title, was that kind of born through that experience that you and your wife Yeah, had? exactly. Yeah, you nailed it totally. So yeah, I, I was kind of like... I need to find a way to at least look into a future where I don't feel this like absolute vast emptiness and I can't express myself in the way I would normally like Frontier like we've mentioned so I need to create something mm. that will kind of lift me out of this and then that just kind of stuck in the back of my head like lift oh, that's quite cool and then yeah the more I wrote the music I was like yeah this is slowly like dragging me back to like surface level and uh, and yeah th that's why I called it lift and over the whole process of this kind of like mourning and grieving I'd, I'd found little little bits of magic in this whole process that made me feel in some ways almost like grateful for what happened just so that I could feel a little bit more like normal again and so yeah I kind of had this line there's beauty in everything 
it just kind of sat around again for a little while and I wasn't sure whether to like write the record as a self-titled or, or what to give it but it's it's incredibly self-indulgent in so many ways that I was kind of like well <laughs> the name is the last of the things I need to be worried about with this so I was like yeah I want to give it like a nice framing <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah there is beauty and everything came from that because you know one good thing came from the whole experience and I, I got to like give this thing that I've always wanted to give uh, to back into the music industry like I said earlier I've got this like obsession with feeling like I need to have earned my place at the table in every walk of life if that's in like with a job or being in a band or giving back like like I said I've bought a house because of my love of music and like I have a lifelong pursuit to give as much back as I can whether that's teaching or giving a record or going Mm. on tour or whatever that is not that what I'm giving is some gift to the world but if it's just one little thing that can help a few people with a shitty day then yeah that's the the biggest thing that I can have achieved in in my whole life so Mm. and please feel free to like say move on and skip this question because like obviously I don't want to sort of dig up too much or anything but like obviously it's an, from the sounds of things it was a shared experience for you and your wife sort of thing and in terms of like the record coming out did you kind of like soundboard things with her show her what was her kind of experience of you creating this thing yeah it was, it's a really um difficult thing to try and like explain to someone that doesn't live in that world so like I said my my wife doesn't work in the creative world at all so trying to explain to someone that the way that you're going to get over this harrowing experience is to just fully dive headfirst into into it (laughs) it's a weird thing to try and explain and um and so I, I didn't soundboard any of the ideas in terms of music creation but when it would come to doing like podcasts or to like press or whatever and talking about what had happened that's when I really need to just give as much respect as I can and be like are you okay if I talk about yeah, this yeah of course and yeah I mean yeah she, she's a very open person and, and was happy for me to to do what I needed to do to get through it because she's so selfless so um yeah th- there's a definite bit of conversation there about that but it's like you know music has effects on different people in different ways and that that was one of the most moving things about this record for me was that like my wife isn't overly passionate about music like she wouldn't sit and listen to a record and feel physically moved whereas I do that on a regular almost daily basis Mm. so yeah the fact that she listened to it and she was like in floods of tears like that was such a stamp of approval for me that it's connected in the right ways and obviously you know she's on the inside of the experience like she knows much more than anyone else so that that's Mm. maybe a natural sort of thing but yeah she whether she likes it or not she's a part of what happened and what is released and is now (laughs) in the hands of thousands of people (laughs) and just like on terms of like more broadly like you've uh, you have mentioned in the sort of uh, other interviews like obviously that there's a big running theme of like mental health kind of within this record and we even just in this conversation like we've discussed sort of your coping mechanisms with sort of mental health and things like that and like just outside of like music you've been someone that's very like um what's the word i'm looking not active an advocate but like an advocate that's the word yeah for for sort of like mental health and, and talking about things like that so in some aspects again is that with this release i don't know whether it's kind of in hindsight now that it's out that you're able to look at it this way 
or because like when you're creating it you might have been so deep in what was going on in your head but is it like in a way that kind of giving back again like because of I don't know the tools that you've had to cope and things that like this is a re- like you've you've said it yourself this is a record that many people can pull different things from and use it like they can either just sit and listen to it or they might connect to it on an emotional level so is that part of the process of like because you've been so open with your own mental health that this is something that you feel like okay i want to give back and help others if it helps them in some um, shape i think it's a side effect of of releasing the record it wasn't my intention to be like i'm going to release a record that's going to help people because very selfishly i wanted it to help me as the primary thing and then after that whatever yeah. would happen would be great and and I think my experiences with mental health and my approach to openness with it has has definitely led to a lot more conversations about the kind of functionality of the record, maybe for lack of a better word. And and that's been like really like amazing, but overwhelming as well, to be honest, because like, I don't know, I'm still really like working through and no no one ever gets to the end of that trail like I, you know I'm still really working through like the yeah. mental health thing and I always will I, I know that's a big part of my life now is I just need to work on that constantly um but yeah I mean I've had messages I mean I had a message from a guy that tried to take his life two days before he messaged me saying that my record was the first thing to let him feel anything in months and it was like wow I was stunned I, I was literally speechless and I don't know what to do with that I mean it's incredible to hear yeah yeah that's yeah. a lot to well <laughs> yes and no i mean it's a, <laughs> no in, in the in the yeah, best, yeah, in the yeah, best exactly, possible yeah. terms i mean incredible yeah, yeah, yeah. to hear but at the same time it's like i don't i don't know how to process those sort of feelings or those thoughts and i'm i'm still working through the incident that caused me to work through a, a whole pile of new things so i was just yeah. kind of like I'm I'm so incredibly grateful that someone could feel that about something that i've made as a you know a consequence of something that's happened to me and and yeah if that conversation is transparent and is vocal and is in the forefront then then that's how i think it should be and like yeah obviously mental health is a buzzword and a big topic for a lot of people because covid has brought a lot of these issues to light but it's been there for hundreds Mm. of years before that and it should have been in the forefront and in the conversation much more so yeah I, i think anything that can um just put options to people that feel like they have no options whatever they may be i think it's a a kind of critical and crucial thing and yeah like i said i I do feel a bit of a a kind of need to give back to those sort of areas because yeah like it sounds so cliche but yeah music has literally saved my life in in a number of ways and yeah yeah, if 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 anything i do can contribute to that pile then yeah my it's it's been worth it so yeah it's it's a very confusing complex load of things to think about but if it helps in that way then yeah that's a great byproduct of um putting this thing out yeah Mm. and this is a bit of like a a weird question and it might sort of sound like i'm kind of having a bit of a prod but I'm, (laughs) i'm i'm not but just in terms of kind of like going back to what you were saying like when you first started doing stuff with Frontier, there was that, that kind of like, as you say, like that frothing at the mouth, like rabid dog sort of thing <laughs> on stage. And I think like, if people just see that side of you and never kind of checked out Lyft sort of thing, they might just kind of, and like, again, like going back to that sort of thing you were saying of 
those barriers between fan and musician like obviously like with guys like yourself and ped like i've had conversations with you like you're people that are very personable but there's still those that music fan that's gonna think like oh no they're just the band i can't talk to them like in like and that's just their perspective sort of yeah, thing yeah. so like they might see you as like oh the 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 guy that goes wild on stage for for frontier but they may not know that you have this this kind of advocacy side to you so I guess the question I'm trying to ask is like, how do you kind of bridge the gap between that conversation of like, I can wild out and this is my catharsis side, mm. but I still want to have the conversation. Yeah. Really interesting question. I don't really, um, I don't know. I think once we go back out on the road again and the band's more active, I'll probably face that a bit more because Lyft has basically only been around for like three months. So yeah. I think that'll be a bit more of a, a kind of slice of the pie once we get back to being fully active. I, th- I think the main thing I would say is like, yeah, people need to like change the lens perhaps on how they see people that are in bands and are touring. And if if you suddenly remember that they have to go to bed at night and think about their stuff at home and they have to wake up the next day and put their socks on and put their trousers on like every other human in the world soon all of the excess stuff fizzles away and you just get a person dealing with their (laughs) shit and that's all that's all all of us are is just people dealing with shit some of them do it with more money some of them do it less some of them do it with a family some of them do it without one so i think it's really just about more about the people that are questioning that to think a bit more about their perception of you know what people are doing with their life that's more the question than how do you do you make the gap it's much more about like yeah why wouldn't you make that link <laughs> more yeah, than anything yeah, else yeah. and just to kind of sticking with like frontier fans obviously like i already mentioned what you're doing with lift is sonically very different to when you're playing with frontier sort of thing and as you mentioned earlier like you've been a bit more active on social media so i've seen obviously you posting stuff for lift like in terms of what you're doing with lift fire sort of some of the frontier stuff and things like that so how have they kind of received the record like because i don't this might be me being completely naive but like the stereotypical like frontier fan may not necessarily click with lift but have you found that there has been good crossover um yeah so i think that's quite a misconception about um frontier fans and i've tried to like work out why that is so I think inherently people that like our band like experimental music and so that means that they're quite open to ideas that are quite unconventional and there's a lot of that lift record that is is actually quite like some oddball Dillinger stuff and like there's a lot of breakbeat and some like quite obscure jarring sort of things and so I think the fans have really enjoyed that aspect of it and they've enjoyed the fact it's not what they expected so i've had really good response from a lot of frontier fans um that have yeah basically just had something unexpected and within that found something that they are kind of familiar to which is yeah like the kind of um sporadic sort of like rhythms and in, in different places and and so that's been really really nice mega mega positive and um it, it's been quite like again i've had messages from frontier fans that yeah, just like mind-blowing things to hear that are just like too much for my tiny brain to comprehend. But yeah, really <laughs> yeah. like beautiful things to hear from from other people. And um, and yeah, I think it's going to give me a, a different perspective on being on the road with the band because 
yeah, like I said, I've been a cog in a machine for so long instead of being the machine. And and yeah, I think being able to go meet people on tour with Frontier that will have enjoyed Lyft, I think that's going to be quite an odd experience to be like, oh, wow, yeah, like yeah. the thing that I made is in Italy or in Switzerland or, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, it's, it's, I think there'll be a lot of unveiling on the next tour that I'm not quite ready for. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Um, and just in terms of, because obviously like, the record's now out. You've had the support of Venn Records and stuff. And I, I don't want this to sound like, oh, because of the time and place sort of thing of the record, like in terms of like your experience with it and it being sort of a kind of quote unquote lockdown record. But what's your vision with the project now? Because obviously, like, as you say, you've learned all the, like, these extra skills now. So where do you see it going is it just going to be something that you pick up as and when yeah writing more stuff what's what's next with it i'm still working it out to be honest i've had um like i think i need for me i kind of need limitations with music in some ways like with this i had a very clear theme in mind musically and uh, an expression that i wanted to get across to the world and so that gives me some sort of like um like lanes to stay in and so i think i need to, another one of those lanes in order to write another record um right. but i've i've had some really good offers with collaborations with people that were like you know the tiers above me in, in the music world so um i'll probably take up a couple of those offers and do a couple of good collaborations and and see where that goes ultimately um completely self-indulgently i would love it to turn into like a bonnevere 14 piece band massive screens <laughs> yeah. like that would really be the end goal if that would be possible but i need a, a full length in order for that to even be a discussion so yeah i think for me it's like write a second record and try and piece together some live stuff i've got a kind of like remote live thing going out with adam betts in the next couple of weeks which i think oh, would be awesome. quite cool um but it's it's a fraction of what i'd like the final thing to be but yeah i think that's the kind of linear sort of process at the moment and then see see where that goes yeah i don't really have mm. too many plans it, it's taken up every kind of ounce of my um bandwidth for nearly a year now so yeah i kind of like i need a, a bit of space for six months so i'll get back into the frontier game learn all these new songs and and then we'll see where we're at after that i think and uh, you kind of touched upon it there but have you kind of thought about like what it would look like as a live project or yeah i i have and i don't know how it's ever gonna happen because <laughs> it's like yeah it would really if anyone's seen um there's a boniver set from uh brooklyn it's a, a brooklyn new york city set where he is he's created this incredible like audiovisual sort of experience if you want to call it that with support from a bunch of electronic boniver songs it's kind of that that I'm trying to do. Like you can hear it in yeah. the music. I'm so influenced by all kinds of Boniver, um, all the variations that he's gone through, and uh, yeah, I, I would also hijack his live thing in a pretty like blatant <laughs> way. <laughs> That's cool. Um, Dan, before I do let you go, obviously, just want to kind of bring back onto Fantera. Obviously, the new record is is it written? yeah new record is written mastered finished release date ready and man it's, it's gonna go off yeah it's it's wild uh i, sh so I showed it to a friend of mine recently and uh he's he lives in france 
but he's one of my best friends from school sort of thing but yeah I see him only on tour now really but he was over for a bit and I showed him the record and he man it blew his tits off and he's a pretty good like <laughs> measure he's a pretty stone-faced would tell you straight sort of thing but yeah 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 like for me anyway it's the most enjoyable first record ped has ever written that I've managed to listen to in one sitting everything else he's ever written pre me until now i've had to do it in two or three chunks so i like <laughs> yeah I, I think he's really excelled himself like proper like main stage festival sort of songs i, I think he's absolutely that's nailed cool. it so i'm so excited to see what people do with those songs well, that's what i was gonna say is is the release date public yet? not yet or... no um i can no, narrow I it down so. to um between uh halloween and christmas of this year and um, okay, cool. I, sh- I should say that we have a documentary about the band coming out on the 26th oh, of this month, June. Uh, let me check the Saturday. 26th of June, yeah, that's right. And so awesome. that's going to be super interesting to see what people think of that because I think we're a fairly like inconspicuous sort of like yeah i don't know we, a lot of people like not many people know a lot about the band but they like the music so i think having that come out um will be a pretty good sort of insight into our world for for people that are interested yeah yeah definitely that's cool i look forward to seeing yeah. that um dan before i do let you go how i always kind of wrap things up is to ask my guests what their favorite song is but with a bit of a twist so what is your favorite frontier song that you like to play live and why oh, good um it's always the opener or the closer of our set for the same reasons it's like just absolute chaos and hell breaks loose (laughs) at both of those points of our set um so i i would say tunnel jumper though because it's been our opener i think ev almost every show we've ever played um (laughs) and yeah it's just the hype machine it just sets off this like atmosphere in the room that uh it's it's contagious like it just makes yeah i don't know it's it's that feeling i mentioned earlier about going to that first biffy gig gives me that feeling still as a 32 year old man of like oh my god this feels naughty this feels like we shouldn't be doing this like it gives me that and uh yeah i just i love it it just sets the whole thing off perfectly so yeah i think it has to be tunnel jumper for me awesome well dan thank you very much for your time really really appreciate it like i've said it before like the lift record is fucking beautiful and excited to see what you potentially do with it in the future and yeah stoked to hear the new frontier record when it when it gets into our ears nice one tim yeah no thanks so much for having me it's so cool to to chat to to folk that are into frontier or or lift or whatever it's just yeah ace that people are connecting with all those things and pleasure to to chat to you for the last bit so there we have it folks again a huge thank you to dan for taking some time to have a little chat with me um, and I hope it kind of gives everyone an insight into into Lyft and what that project is all about. Um, also, as mentioned in the chat, um, Frontier, I have a documentary that is coming out this week. Uh, I believe it's this weekend, actually. Uh, no, yeah, 26th. So go check that out when it drops. I'm really looking forward to kind of... I've been lucky enough to speak to two members of the band now. So I feel like I have got an insight into the band, but I'm sure this is going to be even more behind the curtain and a, a view into how the workings of that band comes to be so yeah really excited to to check that out and everybody should check it out when it drops um as always if you want to keep up to date with what frontier are doing as mentioned new record is likely to be in our hands later on this year and obviously what 
Dan has for the future and lift, you can do so by visiting all their social media platforms, which will be linked in the description notes. As mentioned as well, tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, we will be dropping information of our episode 200 giveaway. Really kind of excited to, to get that out there and give something back to, to you guys for, for listening and checking out this podcast. So, yeah, all the details of how you can enter and win that will be up on our, our socials on Tuesday, uh, sorry, Wednesday, but we'll be doing an individual sort of post for each kind of prize as well throughout the week to whet your appetite. Um, but that's kind of it for, for another week. As always, keep up to date with what we're doing on social media. We're just underscore and underscore insight on both Instagram and Twitter and then just an insight podcast on Facebook. Um, but yeah. Thank you again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast and I'll see you soon.